I'm very excited about this one. I am too. I think we should just like start talking about it. I think we should. This one felt like we are in Friends. Yep. This show is on a roll and it's only episode four. Like they're already in it. Things are working and gelling and funny and, you know. Yep. Or something more coherent than that. You, you get it. The chemistry is there. It's so good. Also, we say, um, a lot. Do you know how many ums I've cut out of the show? And there's still that many in it. <laughs> I hope you have a trash, like a virtual trash can that's just ums. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. In high school, we were best friends. And now that we're old, we're still best friends. And we both really love the show Friends. We love it so much that we thought we'd rewatch it together and tell you all about it. So join us to find out all the details that two people who weren't there can find out from the internet. Could there, Could there be, be better, better friends, friends watching Friends? Um, okay, sorry. Not um, okay. No, it's okay. Just cut it out. Hashtag cut the ums. <laughs> that is, should be our hashtag for number four. <laughs> So I had this like central perk fact files, I, which I don't know what to call it still, but I haven't, still haven't, we still haven't come up with a name, but I feel like going to central perk to get all these facts is a great place to go. <laughs> what if we call them like perky facts? <laughs> yes, I like that. Okay, perky facts. I have a lot of things to circle back to from multiple previous episodes because there were some things we missed and things we needed to follow up on. Oh, I am so ready. Go for it. I have a list of Gunther facts that I failed to expand on last time. And the story I told about his hair being dyed for 10 years was from a BuzzFeed article, which is titled 21 Things You Didn't Know About Friends According to Gunther. In this article, I learned three first names, Sarah. Three first names. James Michael Tyler. Okay, tell me his facts. He was a real-life barista when he was cast. He worked at a place in L.A. called the Bourgeois Pig. You know, like a fancy pig, I think is what the direct translation was. (laughs) Got it. And he worked there through the first four seasons of Friends. He kept his day job there. Because he has an MFA in acting and was in 33 episodes of Friends before he got his first line, which was, yeah. I I also did a little research on Gunther. He was hired because he was a barista, but when they actually put him behind the seat, like behind the counter with the espresso machine, it was too loud to actually work. So he didn't end up using his barista skills. Yeah. He was told that he was cast just so the coffee shop would look quote-unquote authentic. (laughs) And then they kept that espresso machine unplugged for the whole run of the show because it was too loud. But he did reveal that craft services would make coffee and put it in the cups of the cast. And so they were actually drinking coffee on set. Oh, that's nice. That's good to know. And then Gunther said that there was an unspoken rule not to sit on the orange couch. And he has this quote that says, I only sat on the couch twice. It's like sitting on Game of Thrones' Iron Throne. Seriously. Something you do not do. No one should sit there except for the six. 
Whether consciously or unconsciously, I don't think anyone relaxed on this couch except the main six actors. Wow. Right? Um, I love that they equated the orange couch to the Iron Throne. That's so badass. <laughs> I also read this fun fact that that orange sofa was allegedly found in the basement of Warner Brothers Studios. The creators really wanted it to be beige. And when they found that one, they were just like, oh no, it has to be this orange couch. And I'm so glad they kept it because it's so iconic and different. And it really does harken back to an actual independent coffee house. I'm thinking of Nevada City. Okay, Mecca. <laughs> yep. Yes. Totally agree. Can you imagine a beige couch in a coffee shop? How disgusting that would get. It gets so stained. So gross. Like with Chandler smoking on it. No thanks. <laughs> um, I wanted to also just say this one quote from him. He does watch and love the show. He said, quote, when it was on, I couldn't remove myself. It was like suspension and disbelief because I'm like, oh yeah, this is the day that so-and-so did this off camera. It was hard to watch it as a fan but now I'm removed enough and I occasionally pass it and stop and watch and I get it and I think that's actually a well-written well-performed show and I was very very fortunate to be a part of it oh oh Gunther oh buddy <laughs> I've got a perky fact too the central perk art that you see in the background it was changed every three episodes whoa the creators did that to replicate the feel of independent coffee houses that often display art by local artists. It's so much work to put into something that so few people will notice, but that really does like make it more authentic, even though, yeah. you're not, even though you don't see it. Yeah. All six friends' names were inspired by characters from All My Children. Why? Great question. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Okay. Well, a great thing to write on my insane notepad for next time. <laughs> I will find that out. And you know what? If you don't follow up, that's fine. <laughs> Remember we were talking about alternate names for the show. One of them was Friends Like Us. Mm -hmm. Back in that iteration of the show, Phoebe's character was supposed to be goth. And it was offered to Janine Garofalo. And she turned it down because she didn't want to play a goth person or a goth character kind of how the lore goes and then it evolved into Phoebe who's like the exact opposite of God yeah speaking of Phoebe there was an episode of Rob Lowe's podcast called literally I don't know if you've ever listened to that I have did you hear the episode she was just on I have not <laughs> so I listened to it because it just came out in the last week or so and I was like oh I need this for research purposes um and she revealed that she did not know that Space Force was an actual branch of the military when she made that show. I mean, it was brand new, hence the show, right? That's amazing. She reached out to Steve Carell and um, uh, Mike Shore, who created the show, and she was like, do you guys know this is a real thing? I just saw like the mission statement for Space Force. <laughs> They're supposed to be like guardians or whatever. And she said neither of them responded because they were like, duh, like, duh, it's a thing. That's why we have this satire show that you are oh in. Oh my God. 
Okay, can I can I ask? Is Mike Sure the one who did the office? Yeah, he plays also. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Makes that makes sense. And you know what? Now that I'm saying that, it may have been Greg Daniels and not Mike Sure. You should check. Oh. Out. Okay. They're all like I listened to. I, I it might be Greg Daniels. You know what? It's fine. It's Greg Daniels. Oh well, good fact checking and. This is how we do things. On the fly. Great journalism needs to be updated. <laughs> this is why we're amateurs. I told you, we're, we're <laughs> amateur is the new professional. Yeah, it's true. Corefessional. Corefe yeah, corefessional. Okay, the other thing that Lisa Kudrow talked about on Rob Lowe's podcast was that she said the reunion is being shot this <gasps> in April. And she said she knows it is happening for sure eventually because she actually already filmed something for it last year, pre-pandemic. And so she knows it's happening. And it's, the way she was talking about it made it sound like she's one of the people that actually made it happen. So she said it's not them reprising their roles, but it is the sex of them getting together and they've never done that in front of a camera since the show ended. So that is happening this year they're going to film it oh and we're going to podcast about it oh, for sure yeah. also did you know she went to college for like biology and medicine and she has a paper that's been published about headaches no she's so smart that's amazing published in Fe february 1st 1994 by two people with the last name messenger and Lisa Kudrow. So they were studying whether people with headaches and migraines had a correlation to which hand you use, if you're left-handed or right-handed. Oh, interesting. Well, left-handed people are very weird. <laughs> which I think Lisa Kudrow is, or I think Phoebe is. Interesting. Also, I wanted to follow up. In episode three, I did not look up who played Alan. I'm past it now. I'm okay with talking about Alan. Okay, okay. We can talk about Alan. His name is Jeffrey, but spelt like Geoffrey. Uh-huh. That way. Jeffrey Lower, and he is best known for playing Reverend Timothy Johnson on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. I did watch that show when I was like 10. I didn't, and I, that's the only fact I could find about him. Oh, okay. So, great job, Alan. We'll forget you soon. <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> okay, so in the last episode, we talked about the, the valet stand that you didn't know what that was. Yeah, the wooden suit hanging thing. Yeah, I said if you just Google weird wooden suit holder stand thing, you could find it. And so I literally put that phrase all those words into Google and the picture <laughs> that comes up is exactly what I was talking about. It's called, it, it's a valet stand that holds your suit. So I need, I need to know if any actual man owns this thing, but that's all I need to know because I, I feel like it's something that you would find in Downton Abbey. I was <laughs> I was going to say, like, I think, I feel like it's on Mad Men, but maybe it needs to go back to that. <laughs> I don't know what time periods are. <laughs> I don't even know what day it is. It's I, I just know it's not now. Yeah. 
yeah. Yeah, I feel like of anyone I know, Court Potter would probably have one if he could. Oh, yes, he would. I should probably get him one for his birthday. That's actually a good idea. The other question we had uh, from a few episodes ago was, did Kathy Griffin and Jane Lynch ever do any projects together? Yes. No. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't find anything. Thanks for um, figuring that out. We can move on now. Yeah. <laughs> I think Kathy Griffin participated in a roast of Jane Lynch, but that's all I could find that they did. Oh, that's participation. That's good. Okay. I guess so. Also, did friends ever change days? No. Did friends ever change time slots? Yes. I know. Okay. I knew that it had changed slots, but I didn't know when or like the capacity. So it moved to eight o'clock for a long time after it was at 830 for a short time. Mm -hmm. And I think that just the prestige of having the hour, the top of the hour time slot drew in more ratings. Because people were more likely to tune in at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock than 8.30 or 9.30. And that Thursday night lineup started at 8. So that was like a big deal spot, that 8 o'clock. Yep. I find that fascinating that it's like the ratings were so much different at 8 or 9 than at the half hour, the half hour mark. Yeah. It, when it debuted at 8.30, it, Mad About You was at 8 and Seinfeld was at 9. So I, I guess I can see where, like, Friends was the new show and yep. Mad About You and Seinfeld were already established and, like, not necessarily more risque, but I don't know, just different. And so if mm-hmm. you saw Friends come on, you'd be like, mm, I'll take a break and come back for Seinfeld. I also saw that when they moved to 8 o'clock, they weren't even allowed to show a condom wrapper at times, like the 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 censor. Yeah, the censorship at eight o'clock was way different than eight thirty or nine for some reason. And hmm. so Seinfeld would do a show that was way more risque than anything Friends did, and Friends was getting all these like censorship notes. Like they tried to have a condom, and they were like, "Why can't we show safe sex? Like encourage safe sex? Isn't that better than like whatever?" So they had bumped up against that a lot. Interesting. Last fact from the central, what do we call it? The perky facts. Perky facts. Smoking indoors was banned in California in 1995. Okay. So season one of Friends came out in 94. So we were like already on our way. Yeah. And and do you want to guess when it was banned in New York? Oh, man. In 95. It's got to be way, it's got to be at least five years after. So yes, 2000? Yeah. 2003. <gasps> Isn't that crazy? The show ended in 04. So it was like almost the entirety wow. of the show you could smoke. That's bananas to me. So this is season one, episode four, the one with George Stephanopoulos. This episode is the first one that's split by gender. It is so split. It is completely boys broing down with hockey and emergency room and <laughs> emotions and then girls. Just Rachel has her crisis and is like not knowing where she's going in life. And then they like fantasize on this weird political kick. That was really fun. It was released on October 13th, 1994. Also directed by James Burroughs, 
Our friend, he has he is four for four. This one was written by Alexa Young. She was best known for her work on Friends, um, and she actually worked as a writer, story editor, and co-executive producer throughout the series. But she also worked on such popular shows as Sex and the City, The West Wing, um, Big Love, and she was even a writer. Clarissa explains it all. She was? Uh-huh. I didn't see that one. I got the other three. I didn't know that. I love that show still. <laughs> hit me with a summary. I'll hit you with a summary. Joey and Chandler take Ross to a hockey game to take his mind off the anniversary of the first time he slept with Carol and allegedly lost his virginity. We'll get into that later. While the girls become depressed when they realize they don't have a plan. That's a plan for their life. We've been there. Yeah, I have a lot to say about those female plans. I feel like we've had extensive numbers of talks that are exactly like what they're going through. Oh, it's so relatable. In our 20s, all we talked about was our directionless hijinks. <laughs> Even into our current 30s, I think the last time we had a girl's weekend that time in Tahoe with Chris, oh, yeah. it was like, here's what we're all doing. But what's really, where are we really going? Like, what's really- Is this right? Are we on the right path? I feel like that's something that girls just always go back to. Like, yeah. Should we should we just self-destruct or are we are we okay? <laughs> Is this what grown-ups do? Do you feel like a grown-up? Yeah. yeah. What are some of our grown-up mentors that are doing all, doing fine? <laughs> what do they do? Oh man, yeah, I was having some intense flashbacks in this one. Yeah. We talked about this last time. We were saying, oh, they never pipe in any coffee house noises the very first second of this episode there is piped in coffee house noise behind them and it is very distracting oh interesting I didn't even notice that I guess it wasn't that distracting but it was distracting to me because I was like oh I just said they never do this and now here it is very loud <laughs> piped in coffee noise we have the cold open in the coffee shop where most of the gang aside from a few, are talking about what they would want to do if they were omnipotent for a day. And I love that Phoebe kicks us off with a very Phoebe, Phoebe-like response saying that she'd like world peace, no more hunger, good things for the rainforest. And then she takes like a great beat and then says, and bigger boobs. Because she's human. I love her wishes for the world. They're just so sweet. And then she's like, but also bigger boobs. Like, also something for me. Yeah. Again, honest to a fault. Yeah. We also see Ross sitting in that stupid flimsy wood chair, but this time it has padding. Yeah. Comfy chair. Which is a stupid wooden chair. What are we doing? Who are we kidding? Like, these are the six main people. Give them a chair. <laughs> I think it changes later. Seems like to me that that wooden chair only shows up when someone wants to sit backwards. Mm -hmm. So Chandler, in true Chandler form, says he'd make himself omnipotent forever. 
Also, at 33 seconds, in the last episode, I was talking extensively about this stupid, weird sideboard table that was pushed up against the coffee table. Yes. Did you see it? The corner? I did. And it is there throughout the entire episode. Why? I think it's to give the scene depth, maybe. Instead, it makes it feel smaller because there's another table there. I don't know why it's another table. Why didn't they just get a bigger table? Just get a bigger coffee table. It looks weird with another just like junky table attached to the other table. Yeah, it's dumb. And like, again, we can understand that that's where the room ends. Like in our minds, this is where the room ends. We don't need to pretend there's another table there. Like it can just end there. Yeah, yeah. It's a fake show. It's okay. Overall, I felt like the whole wardrobe has been toned down a bit. Mm -hmm. Not as... Um, offensive in any way like they're they're acceptable pieces of clothing that you would find at a conservative jc pennies <laughs> joey was wearing like a nice fuzzy but not overly fuzzy dark brown sweater that could like put him into the background or put him into the foreground it didn't matter even Chandler's crazy patterned blue sh- button-down shirt was more, it was more subdued. It, it was just a little more, um, like if it was different colors, it would be god-awful. But the colors made it so it was tolerable and not just make your make your eyes want to bleed. I thought Chandler's outfit looked the most Chandler yeah. Thing we've seen so far i i thought that was that rolled up sleeves with the shirt underneath looked very chandlery yeah and joey's sweater was like a loose kind of crew necky sweater that was a little bit baggy but not too tight it looked like he looked more joey i feel like they're settling into they're finally getting the wardrobe right for these people like phoebe's been fine for a while but yeah everyone else kind of figuring out as we go yeah i will say ross's big pink and white striped collared shirt well not overly offensive I was not a fan of because it was still that big big blousey yeah I don't I don't know there's too much space in there <laughs> yeah I there's a scene at some point where he has his foot up on the table the coffee table and you can see he's wearing like who look like either high top sneakers or hiking boots and he's wearing khaki pants, but the khakis are rolled up one, like not even a full roll, just like clicked up or flipped up. One cuff. They're cuffed. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, uh, that's not a great look. And the pants, I mean, he's sitting down and I'm like, these pants are so wide. You could put two legs in one. Yeah. Bad. But we're getting there. We're getting there. It's not, it's not gross. <laughs> our bar not gross not gross (laughs) when joey walks in and they're like joey what would you do if you were omnipotent and he's and he just like without a beat just looks at them and is like i'd probably kill myself (laughs) and then he he goes on to say if little joey's dead i've got no reason to live (laughs) but then when ross looks at him and says no joey omnipotent (laughs) and poor joey is just like you are i'm so sorry 
thinking that he's saying I'm impotent. It made me think of when the episode when Joey gets a man bag from Rachel at uh-huh. work and she's like unisex and he's like maybe you need sex but I had sex yesterday <laughs> and she's like no Joey you and I sex and he goes I'm not gonna say no to that. <laughs> he's so literal. It's so good. Oh Joey. Also back on fashion really quick. Rachel's cute aprons were like a thing when this show came out. Rachel wearing her little coffee shop aprons. That was like a thing. That And you can look all over Pinterest and Etsy. Like they make like Rachel Green coffee shop aprons. Um, and there's all these people who like try to recreate the same patterns. Because there's one that has jump ropes on it at some point. But her in those aprons and then later band-aids. She wears stylish band-aids. Yes. And set her with those things. Yep. So the the diamondy apron. That's like that's the it, that's super cute. All her coffee shop outfits yep. are pretty pretty great and probably back in style. Oh, totally. Okay. After the intro, we cut to a different cut to scene of New York City where it's like a helicopter aerial shot. I don't think they use this often, but this is definitely the, it it was a weird one where it seemed a little out of sorts. It was literally a like flyby shot of New York City. It was not stock footagey. It was more, it was more like I'm in a helicopter (laughs) flying over Manhattan. It it was just like different. And I, and actually later on in the episode when we hit a a night scene it's the same kind of thing where it's like it's almost like someone low in an aerial craft (laughs) is flying through the main part of New York like during the night I don't know I love hearing you talk about aerial crafts they could be parasailing for all I know You sounded very authoritative. I know you, so I know you aren't, so that's why it's funny. (laughs) I know nothing about aerial photography. I literally didn't even see that scene, so I... Just take my word for it. I'm a friend, Skirt. (laughs) Okay, so after after we see your beautiful aerial scene of the city, we go back to the coffee shop, and I have to say that Last episode, Phoebe got five out of five for me, my highest honor so far. But this episode, in this scene, she is dressed like a retirement home grandma. What is happening? That purple thing that she's wearing, and also the way she's sitting, she looks pregnant. It's just, yeah. it's weird. It's bad. It's like loose. It's like, it looks like a quarantine outfit I would like to wear around the house. <laughs> But what I assume retired people often, it was like a loose button up, but not a button up shirt, just like a, like a cardigan with buttons. That's a shirt. And then it was like a very loose wide leg pants, but not cute. It was tough. And yeah, the way she was sitting, she just looked real frumpy. Yeah. Agreed. Well, and she was sleeping. Looked like she was wearing grandma pajamas. So I guess that works. So Ross and Monica are watching her sleep on the couch of the coffee shop 
And I will say Ross is very close to her mm -hmm. during this time. Monica's sitting in the chair and they're just like amazed gazing at her being like, how do you sleep like that in a public place? When they're like leaning closer to her and Lisa Kudrow kind of like wakes up and scares them. Did you notice that Lisa Kudrow almost breaks? She has like a tiny smile when she wakes up and she's like, what, 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 what? It's so, it's so cute. You can see the actress in it. She's so good. And it must have been so hard to keep a straight face sitting between the two of them. Okay, so Ross's magazine during the scene, the, the, back, the whole back of the magazine has an, uh, an ad for vodka. And I paused it. I was like, what is this vodka? I just, I just, I'm curious. I want to know what it is. And the tagline is, out of sight is not out of mind. The taste is unforgettable. And I could not for the life of me, I Googled the crap out of this. I could not find out what brand of vodka this, this tagline was for on the back of this magazine. Say the tagline one more time. This is hurting my brain. Out of sight is not out of mind, dot, dot, dot. The taste is unforgettable. And it had like, it had a, the, a, bottle, a bottle of vodka, but you couldn't see the main part of the bottle, just the neck. And then it had kind of like a red kind of flaggish logo, but it was very small. Hmm. I, could, I could not find it. I, I looked extensively way too long for this. <laughs> Just because I was curious. I'm like, it's very obvious. It's a vodka ad. I wanted to see the connection. I couldn't find it. It had to have been intentional. They wouldn't have been like, use this magazine with this huge ad. Well, I, ha I had to pause in a very strategic spot to actually find out what the tagline said. But still, it's all, uh -huh. it's all advertising. Yep. Like, don't yep. just put a magazine in there without being like, we're showing your ad, you weird vodka. Like, don't you want to pay us? True. Your ad? True. So if anybody out there knows what brand of vodka it is, I'll buy a bottle and I'll drink <laughs> it. I will do that for science. I support you and encourage you. We find out that Phoebe ended up getting no sleep because her grandma has this new boyfriend, which, by the way, when she's talking about this, I love Lisa Kudrow because you, you clearly see her almost break again. Like she, her tongue sticks out when she's saying this, like, oh, my grandma has a new boyfriend, but she manages to keep it in character and like kind of laugh it off. And I'm so impressed by that. And she's talking about how insecure they are and deaf when they're trying to re reassure each other that they're having a good time in bed. I just, I love, I loved her working through that process. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was wonderful. I have this thing about bloopers. I've told Court this. I may have told you before. Like I, bloopers are my absolute favorite thing in life. And when I watch them, I get this like really intense feeling of jealousy and like hatred because I wasn't there and it looks like they're having the best time and I just want to be there with them and I am so happy and also so upset that I missed out. Sarah you have FOMO you have blooper I FOMO. Do. I have blooper FOMO for anything even a show I didn't like if I watch the bloopers I'm like oh my god why wasn't that looks so fun I can't believe it 
I I have and like Lisa Kudrow when she breaks it is yeah beyond yeah because I, I think she has a history of breaking more than any of them also <laughs> and her laugh is like the most contagious thing yeah. of all time mm-hmm. oh my god so I did want to point out something that during the scene while she is explaining this about her grandparents or grandmother and her new boyfriend Ross slowly and almost uh, and almost like like you almost don't notice it but he slowly moves away from her he's ends up he starts off very close to her on the couch he's by the end of her dialogue he is on the opposite side of that couch and like reading his magazine it's so funny and it's so subtle That's like such a simple thing that you wouldn't need to do and adding that in makes such a big difference to the comedy. Yeah, well done, David Schwimmer. Good job. Or or, or James Burroughs for that direction. Really good. Yes. We already talked about Chandler's outfit, but I have to reiterate that like at 2.40, Chandler is finally dressed like Chandler. And I even put an exclamation point on it, like the rolled up sleeves or the shirt with the jeans. Chandler is here. Yay! Um, and like him and Joey come in and they're like, hey Ross, happy birthday, buddy. We got you these hockey tickets. And Ross is like, my birthday was seven months ago. Just a side note, apparently there are two to three different dates in the friends lexicon that are Ross's birthday. None of which appear to be seven months ago. I feel like this this mention was not in anything I read. Like his birthday is supposed to be October or December. Yes, I noticed that too. Because if if it is seven months ago, mm-hmm. and it is April twentieth, which we find out in a minute, that would make his birthday in April. In another episode, a few a, a little bit later, he tells Gunther that his birthday is in December. But then in a but then in wait. another wait, go ahead. Sorry. If in this episode, if his birthday was seven months ago, and this we're in April, that wouldn't be April birthday. Wait, it wouldn't. Seven months from April is also not April. <laughs> seven months ago from October. Oh, from October. Oh, I thought you were saying, oh, we find out it's April in this one. Oh, no. Like, wait, okay, I'm so sorry. Just cut no, that. No, I was. <laughs> Sorry, I was going from October backwards seven months. Right, right, you got it. Okay, just ignore me. It's okay. So another another episode when he's in the hospital with Joey, um, and I can't, I can't remember the exact episode, but he Joey's taking down his information. He mentioned his birthday is October 18th, which is referencing two days before this time so like which is it when is ross's birthday i also saw something where that said he is 29 for three years in the show they also are very confused about his age um and we're gonna have to look deeper into that yes because i just watched a season three episode the other day where they talk about rachel quitting the coffee shop 
And she's like, oh, I can't be 30 and have this job. And they're like, that's way worse than being 28 and having this job. So if three years from now, she's 28, she can't be 22 here, which is what we've determined from. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know how old anybody is. This is all upsetting. (laughs) So then there's another really gross Geller moment. Oh my God. I don't even want to talk about it. I'm already upset and don't want to talk about it. I wrote it in all capitals. So why the hell does Monica know when his anniversary of consummating his marriage with Carol is? I wrote Monica about Ross's sex anniversary. Why? 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 No. Why would she know that? No, and she's so empathetic. She's like, oh, no. I hope you, I was hoping you didn't remember because I did. Like, why? Ew, it's probably on her calendar because she's so anal. Like, probably. Yeah, probably. Ugh, God. I did not like that. Like, there, I feel like this is the first viewing through this whole show that I've ever been like, what is up with these two people? And they're so gross. I'm going to go back to a great listener <laughs> writing in and telling us about how she noticed Monica's physicality as a result of our last episode. Monica tends to be very physical with all of the friends in different ways, but especially Ross, which is really gross. But it's not just Ross. Also, remembering Ross's sex anniversary is like a different level. No, it's gross. We should have asked that listener if her brother, your husband, <laughs> ever told her about your sex anniversary. Like, come on. No. She wouldn't know that. Another thing that I was going to say, this has nothing to do with the sex anniversary. Like, I have to move on because it's so awful. Um, But when Joey and Chandler come in and they're like, happy birthday, buddy. And he's like, it's not my birthday. It was seven months ago. I'm guessing you couldn't decide which of you is going to take a date. And so you invited me. And I was like, okay, hang on. Two guys have three hockey tickets. And they're like, who's bringing a date? No, no. Then you'd be the third wheel. That'd be awful. Like, wouldn't the automatic assumption be let's bring Ross? Like, why would it be like, let's fight over who's bringing a date? No, no, no. And who has to be the third wheel? (laughs) Because obviously it's going to be Chandler. Joey's going to be. So at 320, when the way that Ross delivers the line about how the October 20th is, is is the date that he consummated their physical, physical. relationship. And then he turns to Joey, who is obviously like has a confused look on his face, and he's like, with sex. <laughs> I love dumb down Joey. I died with giggles. Like <laughs> it was so good. We have James Burroughs to thank for Dumb Down Joey. Oh, Dumb Down Joey is great. And and especially like, but it's not just Joey. It's the way that Ross feels that he he has to turn to Joey and say, with sex. (laughs) Because all of them are kind of like, you did what? Oh, okay. (laughs) Because Ross cannot talk like a normal human. Yeah, yeah. I hate this storyline. I, this is early. I'm going to make a controversial statement. 
I am nominating Ross right now for the worst. I feel like it's just, I hate it. I hate Ross so much. (laughs) I love Ross, but I'm so sorry. Ross, you were awful. And we'll see what. As soon as Ross finds, like, realizes that he is missing this anniversary, he gets super mopey and he's just like, Oh, I think I'm going to pass on the game. I'm just going to go home, think about my ex-wife and her lesbian lover. And Joey's Joey's reaction is so genuine and so endearing and lovely, where he's just like, the hell with hockey, let's all do that. It's like the huge smile on his face. I'm just like, oh, he really means it legitimately ready to rip up the hockey tickets you're like yeah hello this let's do that sounds great so they are they are leaving they're they're going around the couch they've stood up the guys then drop ross at the door and taylor tries to do this bro down thing where he's like pretending to punch him being like and he totally gets called out and he's just like i don't know what i'm doing ross is like what are you doing and there's like, uh, I don't I know. Can't pull that off. Yeah. yeah, that's not like a thing I would have done. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Just been like, I'm playing the role. I'm doing this. Yeah. Am I pulling it off? No, you're not. No. <laughs> but the thing that gets Ross to go to the game is that he's going to get a big foam finger. I love that. Like, people in this show love a foam finger because the, there's a thanksgiving episode in like season nine or ten they go to a hockey game as well and, and chandler's like i'm not going and ross and joey go and when they come back joey has the big foam finger and they keep seeing it through the people the one where they lock everyone out because they're late emma goes to the beauty pageant anyway they love a hockey foam finger and ross yeah. is like, well, i'm only going if you buy me a foam finger I was like, what? why do people love this Yes. Although when he says, can we get a big foam finger? I have a huge problem with the way that he's holding his finger. <laughs> it's extremely offensive to me because he's holding it like a, like an underhand hook. It's like all awkward and twisted in a weird way. Like he's trying to hook a fish we're like, <laughs> we're like, dig a big piece of gunk out of pipe. <laughs> and I, I, it makes me oh, so uncomfortable. Oh my God, the, the visual that I'm seeing you do, I'm like, oh my God, I've a thousand percent done that a million times. <laughs> That's such a Sarah, Sarah move. It's so, oh no, it's so bad. <laughs> It's very akin to the claw fingers. Yeah. One finger is almost more aggressive because it's very obvious. Yes. It's like, what are you doing with that finger? You're obviously, it's a tool for something. You know, if it's going into foam, it needs to be straight up, right? Like, that's the point. Yes. (laughs) Literally the point. So anyway, moving on. Okay. So we are in episode four and this is Rachel's first paycheck. I'm sorry. How much time has passed in four episodes? Four weeks. 
isn't your first paycheck within two weeks? Yeah. Did she, am I remembering wrong? She started working there at the end of episode one, right? Very end. I think so. Sure. Sure. I'm pretty sure. End of episode one. Well, there's processing time, you know, those things. I don't know. Well, movie, movie, movie magic. It was just like, I'm sorry, your first paycheck, and we've it's been at least a few months. Like, Carol's literally giving birth right now. Like, it's not, <laughs> timing is not tracking. Yes. That's okay. So I had a huge problem with the fact that when she when she runs out with it, the envelope is obviously opened and not sealed. <laughs> However, when, like later on after Phoebe talks about her line about the Dairy Queen and the mine, it's super sealed because she is ripping into it. Like you wouldn't have to rip into it if it was a seal, if, if it was already open. So there's some pieces that doesn't really add up there. Moon fell asleep on the props that day. Yeah, yeah. Although I want to point out Rachel's waitress attire in this one. I I want to give it like kind of a little thumbs up. Mm-hmm. I like I really like it, and I think it actually like is very fashion forward now. Like she yeah. and it tracks because she's not like super cleavagey or like revealing too much. It's very like tight up at the neck. It's a it's a like a black colored shirt with cuffs that are rolled up to like mid bicep. Mm-hmm. She's got it tied up at the midriff, but but her apron is high, so she's mm-hmm. only showing a little bit of belly, and it's like a, a collared shirt that's buttoned up all the way. And her her apron's super cute. It's like a little black mini skirt with like black leggings. She looks really good and cute. She looks really good. The only issue I had with her outfit was when she t- comes home and her apron's off. And I was like, oh man, we need this apron to balance this outfit out because her shirt is literally tied like under your bra line without the apron. And I was like, that is too high for a shirt to be tied. I just have issues when she gets home as to why has she not immediately gone into her PJs? Like, why would you stay in that outfit for like more than two minutes? (laughs) When I knew we were about to record this, I was like, where are my sweats? Oh, there they are on the floor. I'll put them on. (laughs) The bra has to come off. The socks have to come off. The pants get looser. The shirt gets looser. Yeah. Hair goes in a pony. Why is that hair still down? Come on. No, no. Everything needs to be taken care of. <laughs> but at work, she looks great. She looks great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Agreed. I, oh, so a thing that we were going to track at some point Chandler Jaw Alert. <laughs> Tracking what does Chandler do? Because we saw him in his cubicle last episode. Unclear what he does. There's like data on his screen. I don't know what he's doing. This episode, she turns, she opens her paycheck and she turns to Chandler and she goes, Chandler, look at this. Like he's some sort of accountant or something. Like we're supposed to, like he's the first person she goes to. He's the guy, right? Right. Then they pass it down. (laughs) But I was like, okay, Chandler, 
transponsed accountants. That's another thing to add on. So I remember very clearly my first paycheck when I opened it up and I looked at the total amount that I earned and the total amount that I got. And I, I very much connected with Rachel with the whole like, who's this FICA guy and who, why is he getting all my money? <laughs> Where it was just like, why, why is all of this being taken out? Was your first job at Tacamales? Yes. Oh my gosh. It's good. You're, you're such a good friend. Oh no. <laughs> I, I wrote down in my notes. I was like, I'm going to ask Sarah, what was your very first job and what are your memories from it? Oh, well, so my first technical like job, I babysat till, from when I was 10, but my first like job job was Papa Murphy's. And I don't remember getting my first paycheck, but I do remember one of my first like two or three shifts there. I came out, I had to close and my car had a flat tire. And I didn't, I had to find a pay phone to call my mom because I did not have a cell phone. Mm -hmm. I have them then. And she was like, okay, well, I'll be there. And when she showed up, she didn't help me. She made me do it. She was like, you need to know how to do this. That's a good mom. So that's what I mostly remember about my first job is like learning how to change my own flat tire versus like my paycheck. (laughs) That's a great, like functional first memory of a job though. Yeah. Because it has nothing to do with pizza making. It's true. You know what, though? I just had a client like a few weeks ago. She was like, I'm applying for Papa Murphy's. And I was like, listen, girl, that was my first job. And I was like, the only advice I can give you is they require you to count the pepperoni on every pizza. So each size of pizza has a certain number of pepperoni. And I was like, that's the only wisdom I can impart on you is that you might have to learn what number of pepperoni. And now every time I make pizza at home, I like count how many I'm putting on there. <laughs> so stupid. Also, learn how to change a tire. Also, yeah, I think I've forgotten a lot of what I was taught. But yes, I was yeah. so mad about that lesson. I was like, can't you just do it? And she was like, no, you need to figure this. You need to know. Like, what if no one's there for you? You need to, like in the show, they're there for each other. But what if no one's there for me? I need to know. <laughs> yeah, so... My my first job was at Toppinelli's, which is this little bistro in Grass Valley. And we, we, like our family frequented it since before I could have memories. Like that was our go-to place. We knew the owners, we knew the wait, like the serving staff. We were total regulars. So much so that I remember eating like saltines and butter for snacks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Like it was like our hometown place. So when I turned 15 or 16 and like, was just like, okay, I'm going to get a job. We knew the owner. I had an inn and I, I became a busser there. I will never, ever forget the smell on my clothes. When I came home and like took those clothes off and put them in the laundry that smell permeated like every, like my skin, every sense of my being. It was like old bread and, and it was good food. Let me, let me just put that out there. I love the food. Best tiramisu. Oh yeah. Made tiramisu. Yeah. But when you're a buzzer, you're just like, you're the garbage pail of the restaurant. <laughs> it's 
so like it was it was literally like the smell of old bread mixed with dirty rags mixed with mixed with like the splashed food particles of every meal that is served and that smell is still so ingrained in my psyche because I did it I did food service for so long it like the mem the sensory memory is is just gross and in like just so familiar and good at the same time I don't know how to separate the emotions yeah that's a lot wrapped up in yeah and out <laughs> yeah no it's just so nasty <laughs> I have the same thing when I worked at so I worked at a couple restaurants but I worked at an Indian food restaurant in our hometown, and I remember the first night I left from serving mm -hmm. there, I got in the car and I was like, wait, my car smells like this is intense. And my entire body and all my clothes smelled for like, and every time I have Indian food now, which of course I love Indian food and I make it at home, but I, I like every time I make it, I have one moment where I'm just kind of like, oh, <laughs> that smell in the car. <laughs> It's not just the food, it's the rag and yeah. the like, it's like the grossness that comes from cleaning up the food that's yeah. mixed in with it. And that's, that's the problem. Okay, so the, the boys decide to leave, deciding to go to the hockey game and they are stopped and, and kind of inundated with Rachel's three friends that come through the door, which they graciously open the door for and allow in and just kind of look at each other confused. And they kind of stare at the three girls being like, should we investigate this? No. no. And when they, these three women walk in, I, I noticed their shopping bags. Uh-huh. So they have a Zabar's bag and a big brown bag. And I remember when the show was on, I was just, I'd never been to New York and I was like, I just want to go to those places. I just want one of those bags that seems so cool. And like Rachel would always come home throughout the series with like little brown bag, medium brown bag, big brown bag. And like they were always come home, coming home with Zabar's bags. And I didn't know what any of them were for a long time. And once I discovered, I was just like, God, that seems so cool. And I've still never been to Bloomingdale's or Zabar's, but I do know where those bags are from. Yeah. Well, I just want to point out that I think this is like a little bit of a hint to Rachel as they come in with the big brown bag. Rachel does get a job at Bloomingdale's a couple seasons in. So, I mean, it, it's a little bit of an homage to that too. Yeah. And she was probably a regular shopper there. Absolutely. At, at 5.25, the screams that come out of all the women, these three women and Rachel, I, I don't think, I think people screaming on, on camera is like one of the most impressive acting things you can do. It is so hard to scream. Like, I don't think I could get myself to scream ever unless someone really actually scared me. And I think then I just yelp. But these female <laughs> screams are quite impressive. I will, I will say though, there is, there's something when women get together where the, the, the pitch of the communication just skyrockets. 
and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are, or like how 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 judgy you are, because I I feel like I'm pretty judgy. But I know that my register increases when I see friends that I love. Yeah, and it just happens. It is a yeah. it is a thing that happens with girls. Do you remember what people used to call us in high school when we got together? Oh no. The squeakers? Oh, they did. I can't they did. That. I can't really. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Did yeah. We'd laugh so hard that we would make no sound. <laughs> so that that is a true thing. Yeah. That, yeah. Case in point. I have to say that these three guest actresses, it's Joanne, Kiki, and Leslie. Can I just say how much I love Joanne? I just love her. When she says, look at you in your apron. Look, you look like you're in a play. I died laughing. Like that was so good. The way that she delivered that. I literally wrote LOL'd on my notes. You look like you're in a play. It's like so condescending and straightforward and also just like, what's going on? Yeah. I have some facts about these three ladies. So Joanne was played by Marianne Hagen. Her film debut was in Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers in 1995. Mm -hmm. Her TV debut and actress debut was on Who's the Boss? And she has worked as a journalist and appeared on Martha Stewart with her sister. That's a, that's a good filmography. Yeah. Kiki was played by Michelle Maika, M-A-I-K-A. Listen to this. I almost thought, I can't believe I didn't go down a deep dive because I love this so much. She played Eponine in the second national touring company of Les Mis in 90 to 91. And then she played Eponine on Broadway from 91 to 92. I love Les Mis. I know you do. Anything. Oh my God. Okay. She was also in NYPD Blue in 1983 and The Dictator in 2012. And mm-hmm. I don't know that she did much in between those two things. It's a big gap. She was also the only other fr- like friend of Rachel's that has a reoccurring appearance on Friends. Mm. So she was in also in the one with a flashback, which we'll get up, we'll get to soon. The woman who played Leslie was Lisa Bright. She was best known for Columbo in 1971 and also Tour of Duty in 1987, and she's been in Seinfeld. Oh, but I have to say that Joanne being like, guess who's making partner at my dad's firm? And her point at herself was like my everything. That sassy point is like all I wish my body could do. (laughs) Can I just put it out there right now since you are... (laughs) I think Joanne wins wins the episode. I loved her, and her and like the sh- the short time that she she was on. Just two lines, and I loved both of. Them. I wrote both of them down. Word- I know. Joanne wins. So we cut now to the guys walking along the street on their way to the hockey game, and. Can I just say, Ross is so mopey. It's almost unbearable. Ross is the 
worst. This is when I decided, when I watched it, I was like, he is the worst this episode. I hate this storyline. No one acts like this. Ross, you're being awful. Yeah. Also, there's so much litter on the sidewalk. (laughs) It's the 90s in New York. Just get over it, Sarah. Um, (laughs) He stops at everything and everything is reminding him of that night with Carol. It's like he like puts his head against the glass of the store and he's just like, oh, boots. Carol was wearing boots. And then he goes into this dial at this monologue where he's like well she never took her boots off (laughs) the whole progression of ross's mopey reminiscence from the boots in the window to the peach pit where he's just like actually it was a nectarine i love when he stops and he goes oh (laughs) and like points at the and they're like what now yeah, yeah. Could be happening now. And he's like, peach pit. <laughs> and then he looks at the bus stop and it's just like, <laughs> bus stop. <laughs> it's like, this guy is the worst. The worst. Want, want, want. Officially worst. When Joey's like, hey, that woman has an ass like Carol's. And then they both look at him and he's, again, in the most genuine, wonderful, innocent way. He's just like, what? I thought we were trying to find stuff. He thinks he's actually genuinely helping. Yeah. Yeah. I love, too, in that moment, I wrote LOL. Like, I literally laughed at Joey's line right then. But I loved the moment right after that. Chandler looks at Joey with such immense pride. He looks at him just like, yeah, you got your, you get it. Like, yes, this is what we're doing. (laughs) Then we go back to the coffee house. Uh, Rachel's friends totally suck. (laughs) Oh my God, they're the worst. She's sitting there surrounded by them in the window of the coffee shop, which is kind of a new setting. I literally wrote the same thing. I I was like coffee shop, but also window setting. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, I have to give big props to Rachel. Good for her for being super adamant in what she's doing. Like, just three women who suck and are trying to drag her down and be like, you ruined everything. She is like, this is what I'm doing. This is real. This is who I am. Yeah. They're like, are you waitressing? She's like, yeah, I'm doing this. These are my responsibilities. I'm doing my own thing. I'm putting the blobbies on on the cookies which is so condescending and like you're not real friends like get out of here but I agree I want to give props to Rachel for stand like sticking to her guns and saying like no I am not going to follow the this plan right that that I had had I'm going to do something for me and I'm going to find out what what this is it really does hit home what you said like maybe I think in the first yeah the first episode where you were like you can see the bond between Monica and Rachel because like if she they were such good friends if she showed up at her door like you drop everything whereas these women if if Rachel showed up at their door they'd be like you're doing what like we're busy yeah it's not as strong you're right you're right 
they clearly don't approve of her choices. They're waiting no. for her to break and come home. Right. And I love that she sticks to it and is like, I'm not doing that. I'm not yeah. going back to your life. I'm going to make yeah. my own path. So that's like a huge like applause to Rachel. Yeah. And they say like, she's like, tell me what's going on. Tell me the gossip. And they're like, honestly, the biggest thing is you leaving Barry. And she's like, really? That's... I'm doing something else. Yeah. Who cares about that? Yeah. At the end of that scene, there is a very strange cut to like floofy hair, floofy hair, and then very like straight Rachel hair. That is clearly an after cut edited in the, like the, the the appearances do not match at all I did not see that the very last cut of the scene look at Rachel's hair and how different it is from the rest not a massive blowout anymore <laughs> no no it's not it's it's more of like the smoothie Rachel handle <gasps> yeah when we go back to Monica's apartment I cannot give enough props to Phoebe's onesie. It is incredible. I love it. It's so dumpy and so <laughs> and wonderful. It's such like a Dr. Seuss outfit and it's so fitting for her. Oh, she's still wearing all her jewelry. I would wear that. Uh-huh. I, I also made me really like, it really made me nostalgic for like our slumber parties. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So much. I think I wrote that note like every single scene they went to that apartment. I was like, <laughs> I relate. Okay, can I tell you that I wrote down girls' night consists of drinking, trashy magazines, cookie dough twister and operation, and pizza later in PJs. Dot dot dot. And then I said substitute tips for the cookie dough, and you've got yourself a party. <laughs> Because that was the only thing. I was like, that's too much sweet. But if we just had like a bucket of chips, all right, that like that's basically all I need. I need yeah. I need trashy, trashy texts, <laughs> games, drinking and pizza. And I'm freaking <laughs> friends and I'm good. Yep. I think we've had that night a few times. Yes. In high school, before we could like drive or order food or before there was even delivery food in our town. It was just like cookies and cream and dirty dancing, but. Uh-huh. <laughs> or frozen pizza. Yeah. Now we know how to make pizza. We've really grown up. Oh, we've grown up so much. So this is the first scene that the girls are seen drunk in the series. Oh, right. Yeah. And although they don't get super inebriated during this scene, I feel like Monica's drunkenness becomes kind of a running gag throughout the series <laughs> for her birthday. Chandler uses it with his boss. It's something to track and it's something that's not true at all. That's a good catch. Okay, so they're drinking tea death punch. Uh-huh, which sounds so good. So I googled it. <gasps> oh. I found a recipe. It's from craftlog.com. C-R-A-F-T-L-O-G.com. It is. <laughs> this version sounds intense. Because when they say it to Rachel, they're like, it's rum. And she's like, okay. 
and this is all rum. 15 milliliters gold rum, 15 milliliters dark rum, 15 milliliters white rum. Oh God. <laughs> rum, rum, rum. 30 milliliters strawberry syrup, 60 milliliters pineapple juice, and half a lime. Dear God, that sounds sweet. <laughs> and rummy. <laughs> so I think that we should try it sometime. Okay, we'll reenact it, the scene. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and record it for our podcast. I'll make sure to put my ponytail over my face like, like Phoebe. Oh my God, my favorite scene opener ever. Yeah, got some background stuff. There's a new ugly quilt on the couch. The clown blanket is still on the, on the chair, but there's a new, brand new ugly quilt on the couch. In the background by the window, the pink chair is still there, but it's moved away from the desk, like kind of facing, like out open towards the room. Mm -hmm. And you and, and it's kind of half hidden because there's a like lime green robe thrown over the top of it. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm almost thinking that it was like an homage to girls' night. Like. We're just going to like throw robes out there. I, I don't know. As you do. Do you? I don't know. The, the thing that got me the most was for the first time I noticed outside of the bathroom door, there was this new chair and it was like a round decorative chair made out of like origami paper and wire. That's that, what? <laughs> I think I think that's what it's made out of. That's what it looks like. But it's like sitting right outside the bathroom door, like between the bathroom and like the entrance to the kitchen. Origami paper and wire as a chair. It might be a little more than than wire. Maybe it's like wicker. But I it's, like that it, it's more than wire, but not more than paper. <laughs> but it like who would sit outside of a bathroom door? Like, why? Who would sit there? And no one has ever sat there. So I'm just like, what? Why is it there? I, there not. There needs to not be a chair right there. And there hasn't been one so far, right? Nope. Nope. That was my background. My my crap back. My crap ground. Crap ground. That was my crap ground. Catch my crap ground. Catch. Oh no! Sorry. <laughs> I love it so much. I <laughs> I wrote two notes about this part. Uh, when Rachel comes in and they're like, "Oh, we're having tiki death punch," and she goes, "What's that?" And they go, "Well, it's rum." She goes, "Okay," and sticks a, a straw in it. It's like, "Oh man, we've been there." Oh yes. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> I'll drink that. I don't care. <laughs> Is there ever clear on that? Sure, I'll have it. Does it have alcohol? Great, I'm in. And then the other thing I wrote was, I can't wait to have a slumber party with you. Oh, I miss you so much. So much. I, I, I can't even right now. I can't even. I can't even. I can't even. It's almost like Ross in this episode. It's just awful. Okay, so when Phoebe pulls out Operation, she goes, I lost the tweezers, so we can't operate, but we can prep the guy. She's so happy. She looks 
so happy. I've never seen her look so happy. I just I like felt pure joy in that moment. Yep. It's amazing. Yeah, her acting with with just like the, that joy behind it was so good. If you can see the poor little girl who had to live in a car and just make do, like yeah. prep him. Let's just prep him. Who cares? We can't operate. That's fine. There's no point to this game if there's no tweezers, but we'll find one. It's okay. Yeah. If you're a millennial and don't know what operation is, you should find that. Just play with it. Great game. <laughs> just just play with it. When the Visa card people call Rachel because she's she has no activity on her card I'm like that's not that that's not real it's, it's not a thing they called you because you, they want your money yeah but they wouldn't do that though no they wouldn't do that no if it's the plot I get what's happening but I'm like mm, no yeah I also have to say that Rachel spinning out is so fantastic oh it's so good Jennifer Aniston's ability to fake cry in a way that it's clear that she's fake crying. Like you can tell the both the character and the actress are fake crying, but it's still believable on both fronts. Yeah. You can tell that that's how the character cries, but it's also fake, but also like, it's just so good. Yeah, I agree. I found it very interesting and I wanted to pull in this connection where she's clearly freaking out and spiraling because everything, everyone close to her that she knows is either getting pregnant, married, or promoted, right? Like, friends, right? But none of the friends. They're all of the people who have been in her social sphere bef before she made this, mo this move to be independent. Mm -hmm. I just want to point out that throughout the series, she gets married <gasps> unintentionally to Ross while, while drunk. She gets pregnant unintentionally by Ross. <laughs> <laughs> and she also gets promoted to like Ralph Lauren executive kind of unintentionally. So like all of the things that she is wanting and wishing for she actually gets without actually wanting and wishing for it. <laughs> and that was like a huge OMG moment because she doesn't know that that's coming. Yeah. And what's funny about the promotion part is that there is an episode where Ross shows up where she's supposed to go to Paris to uh -huh. Louis Vuitton. But he convinces the Ralph Lauren people to promote her, give her more money. And she's like, once the Louis Vuitton people heard, they gave me more money. And he's like, oh, God. And he gets all these fossils to, like, break <laughs> to the guy at Ralph Lauren. So he, like, again, all those three things do happen because of Ross. You're so smart. <laughs> but she's so envious, like, right? Yeah. She's so envious of, like, these people doing these things. It happens to her, but on her own time. Yeah, um, I 100% feel her because I felt that like, you know, you've had two babies. I've All my best friends have had babies. I've been to everyone's wedding. I've been to everyone's baby showers. I like consider myself an auntie to a lot of babies. And I look at a lot of people and I'm like, oh, they're all do like, they're all grownups. Like I'm behind on certain, but then I'm also like, oh, I'm on my, you know, I'm on my own time. Things happen to everybody in different ways. Yeah. Parts, so. 
and it it'll happen for you on your own time. <laughs> yeah, Rachel, it's okay. It's okay, Rachel. <laughs> You're only 22. It's fine. Oh my gosh. Also. Oh, buddy. Okay. Yeah. Great point. So we go to the hockey game. The only thing I've written down is Ross, the worst, says about his night with Carol, oh, there was ice there. It was the first frost. Literally, the only thing I wrote down was first frost. (laughs) Oh, my God. I wrote underneath it, Ross sucks this episode, I'm calling it. I cannot. This is the most bullshit thing I've ever heard. Like, I'm sorry. I I haven't been with like a plethora of people. Like neither of us are like super promiscuous, but like I do not remember the date that I first no. identity. Do you remember that? I like no. So the 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 beef I have with the brass. <laughs> Just the one. Is that he is so flippin' girly about this. Like yeah. get over it. I, I, I can't, I just, I, I just literally, I can't stand it. He is so much more of a romantic than any girl I know who is a romantic. Right. Self-admittedly, I am not a romantic. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that stuff, but I, like, I don't internalize it, but I, I have many friends who wrap themselves up in it and I love it, but they don't get to that that Ross is at. Nobody does. Like, dude, you need to take care of yourself. Yeah, this is like a cry for help. Like, he doesn't <laughs> need to remember his anniversary. He needs therapy. This is intense. As a professional, you know. As a yeah, I remember when I lost my virginity. I do not remember the date. I could not tell you what a time of year it was even maybe I I don't know I remember the situation and the person and this like like the logistics well I remember the time because it was in a different country Ooh la la was it London yeah (laughs) another place that comes up in France but I don't remember the date the time and I don't celebrate No. Okay. Say worst case scenario, either of us breaks up with our current partner. Like I would not go around being like, this is the day. Are you kidding? Can you, can you do that again, please? (laughs) The whiny bitch moment is so good. Looks like you're in a play. God, she's my spirit animal. I love her so much. Can you imagine having to be Ross's friend? Like, how are these two guys tolerating this bull? Like, this is this is awful. During this whole scene, do you notice that they are talking back and forth to each other, like without dialogue? They're doing like like little like, and there's there's no di- actual dialogue, but they are clearly talking about him and trying to figure out what to do with him. How much does this guy suck? Yeah. We actually jump back to the girls. So Rachel is spiraling, saying like, I gave up everything. What am I doing? And then Phoebe 
comes in talking about like, you're just like Jack. And she's like, Jack from downstairs? <laughs> and she's like, no, the beanstalk guy. He gave up everything and he got beans, you know, for a magic plant full of possibilities. And like- And stuff. And stuff. And like, he lived in the village and you live in the village. Like, oh, it's like, it makes me so happy. <laughs> love her references they're so off the wall and they like unless you really literally do a deep dive they don't always make sense but they yeah. do make sense yeah and I, I actually speaking of did a deep dive to make sure I was like do they actually live in the village because I know they live near Central Park is mm -hmm. it the village it is the village it is here's a fun fact Central Park is actually a restaurant with according to thisdarlingworld.com, has pretty great food. <laughs> pretty great food. Food. You heard it from us. <laughs> so, like, the building is at um, 90 Bedford Street, New York, New York, and there is a restaurant in the bottom, and the food is pretty good. So, nice. it's, in the, it's in Greenwich Village. That's accurate. Go there. Patronize. <laughs> Oh, well, like Rachel is so worried about the plan for her life. She's just like feeling directionless. She's spiraling. Phoebe is like, you're feeling floopy. Phoebeism. And Rachel like takes it. She's like, yeah, I'm feeling floopy. She's just uncertain. And in this moment, I felt the most relatable in my twenties. I was yeah. like, I felt, I felt this. Yeah. I felt so directionless. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And at the same time, I was looking at Rachel being like, why the fuck have you not changed into your pajamas at this point? No kidding. That shirt is not a comfortable endeavor. You're wearing like leggings slash pantyhose slash like tights, whatever it is. No. I can't even stand wearing any kind of pants, even even work workout pants. It, walking into my door more than two minutes. I'm sorry. Miller <laughs> is so lucky. <laughs> I can't stand wearing any kind of pants past two minutes. <laughs> it's true. I have to take. I like. I have to take bra off and pants off. That, that's a non-negotiable. I don't care what's going on. I need two minutes to, to fix that situation before I deal with anything. To just decompose. Yeah, yeah. So I could feel human. I used to talk to my dog and say, when I took his collar off, like, do you want to take out your ponytail? When we would take off his collar, I, I just imagined it, that feeling of taking off your bra or your ponytail. Oh, that's the same feeling. Ugh. Yes. I did like at some point that someone says floopy and then someone says unfloopy. Like they use it in both ways. Yeah, it's like, when are we going to figure it out so we get unfloopy? And, yeah. and then it's like, that's not even a word. I love that. Unflo I love that they took the, the verb and like, uh, you know, we're English majors. I don't know how to describe it. Is that con disconjugating? <laughs> yeah. 
What's yeah. putting an un in front of a thing? But, but that's the whole thing. They're trying to figure out their lives, right? They're trying to figure out their direction. And they're, then they're, then all of a sudden, they're, they all come together in life. But what if it doesn't come together? What if we all, what if all we have are regular beings and they all just like, be like, oh. and I totally remember that mm-hmm. as like a thing where it's like, it doesn't matter who you surround yourself with, what support, you feel so directionless that you're just like, we're all lost. Oh my God. And you dive into this ex- existential hole. Actually, I just want people to know this is not a visual medium. She got very close to the camera when she said that. She was like very, that was the most passionate thing. You got, that was like the closest you've gotten. You like surpassed your microphone and got very deep into the camera. But I wrote the same thing. I said like these girls' conversations are so real and that you and I have had these talks a billion times. So many times. Since high school. Like even, I mean, now we're almost, we're like, you know, not like running to 40, but we were like getting there. <laughs> Trying to crawl, crawl to 40. Crawl the other way, away from 40. <laughs> but like, we still, I feel like the last, again, the last girls time we had, it's like still the same conversations, just a different context. Like we're still like, am I doing it right? Is this what it should be like? Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Like, nobody knows anything is what it turns out. Like my parents didn't tell me, oh, we don't know what we're doing. I wish they had. Yeah. Well, and, and that's where I think that the, like the friends, friendships and these girls being able to bond are so important Yeah. because if you don't have that, then you will spiral. You don't, you don't know what's going to happen and you have no direction, but the fact that Monica says, like, most of the time, we don't know what we're, we're, what direction we're going. We just try and figure it out as we go. That in itself can give Rachel, who is completely directionless, some kind of hope in that, in that at least somebody, even if they don't know what's going on, has has some kind of grip on reality that they that they that they are trying to move in a direction that is okay. Yeah, it's it, like we'd say in therapy, you're like normalizing, you're validating, you're like yeah, one to tether to like, oh my god, you've also been through something similar. Like, okay, I don't feel so alone. Like, oh, this is normal. Okay, it's it's okay. I'll be fine. Yeah, Maybe, hopefully. I mean, Monica is wearing like what appear again to be her grandfather's pajamas. So like we're unsure if it's gonna be okay. Oh, it's the, it's so bad. With a monogram. I didn't yep. even mention this before, but what is going on? Like, can't we put her in a fitted outfit? No. <laughs> Not yet. Oh god, yeah. Uh, I, I felt like all the girl scenes in this episode, I was like, this is definitely i've been through this yep, yep. we've been through this many Ab- times. absolutely so what's what's great is that right after this we move to the hockey scene where where ross just gets full on pegged in the face <laughs> ross and his foam finger that he just loves so much 
in the first scene when he's screaming, get him, get him, get him. He has the foam finger on and he's just like in it. Yeah. Then it cuts to the game. When it cuts back to him screaming, there is no foam finger. It's gone. And then the hockey puck hits him in the face and there's still no foam finger. So yeah, it's it's a weird cut. I don't know. Maybe that foam finger might have saved him. Like we're bad at editing, but that's that's a real missed opportunity. Editors like yeah, crowd around them is the most unbelievable hockey crowd I've ever seen in my whole life. There's like a woman, uh, an African American woman, in front of them and her son that look like they should be at a library. They should not be at this hockey game. (laughs) They look like they are just ready for like story time, and it is yeah. This crowd is bananas. In 2002, the National Hockey League, they had like a lockout or a like... Um, strike? A, yeah, a strike on games because of, I don't know, something that happened. But they, <laughs> you know, something's, something's 40 that happened. That's obviously not the point of the story. Okay, keep going. One, there were no games. But then, but then I wanted to also add for two, the injury that Ross gets as a result of the hockey puck coming up into the stands and like hitting his face, the National Hockey League added protective nets as of 2002 in all arenas in order to prevent injuries like Ross's. They added these super, super, super nets to prevent the pucks from going into the stands after some instances happened where like in the UK in 2018, which is quite a ways later, mm-hmm. um, there was a fatal accident where a, ho- a hockey puck hit some guy and killed him. And then like in um, like, like earlier than that, a 13 year old girl was struck by a puck and died as a res- result of a ruptured brain, like brain artery. So this is like a real deal thing where people like had severe, terrible injuries as a result of not having protective nets up for the stands. That was shocking to me. I didn't know that pucks could travel that far and cause that extensive of injuries. Same. So when I saw this scene, I looked up like how high is the wall between Mm -hmm. the fans and the rink and what I read which is from NHL dot whatever NHL is at (laughs) where's I wrote it down somewhere I like that NHL dot whatever NHL (laughs) dot com I looked up two things one were the Rangers and the Penguins actually rivals and did they ever play each other and yes they were and yes they did in actually 95, the year after this came out, there was a playoff game that they played together that I didn't watch, but it is on YouTube. So if you want to, I don't know what game or what, I don't know, but there's a playoff game between the two of them. So that's a real rivalry. Um, I also saw that the wall between the rink and the players is apparently called the boards. Okay. Um, and according to NHL.com, it, this is in, in full quotes, shall extend not less than 40 inches and not more than 48 inches above the level of the ice surface. 
The ideal height of the boards above the eye shall be 42 inches. So the, the, that wall between the ice and the fans was between 40 and 48 inches was just like four feet. That's not that's, very tall. That's nothing. Because at first I was like, would he really be able to be hit in the face with a puck? And turns out, yes. And turns out your research, that was happening a lot and they had to put up a net. <laughs> but I went on this like crazy mental dive about like, so they're talking about this thing called the board. And I was like, is that where above board comes from? The same? Oh. Um, turns out, no, it does, it, that's not oh. where it comes from. <laughs> okay. It's actually about keeping your hand of cards above a table so you can't cheat. So. Oh, like a, like, like poker. Yeah. Any kind of hand of cards, you have to keep it above the table, which is above board. But I was like, it'd be cool if it was above board in hockey. Yeah. It is. It's not. So. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> whatever. So he gets hit in the face with a puck. Then we go to the emergency room where the nurse is holding a candy bar and talking to the candy bar people on the phone about how she's not satisfied. I love her so much. Like, I love that this is what she's doing at work. Because we all have had those jobs where we're yeah. like, I need to do this thing. I'll just do it at work because I have this time because I have all this time where I'm just sitting here like it's the middle of the night at the ER who's going to guess this guy's going to come in with a hockey face injury so I, I love this actor like she's she's amazing there's a weird edit I, I want to point out a weird edit where she's <clears throat> and this is just like a shot piece where she's mouthing the words on one shot and she's mouthing the words like um that she wants to she's not satisfied but there's no dialogue and then when she, when you would see it from another like shot you you see you, you see it and hear it it's just it's very disorienting I love that you always get like you're you're like my favorite Star Trek member <laughs> of our our show of the two of us. But you always catch all these things where like the edits, the like jumping out of a sidewalk. You always get these like beam ups or yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm gonna call them. The beam ups. Yeah, you're so good at seeing this. Aww. I didn't notice that at all. <laughs> well, but then when she, when she like looks at Chandler and like like takes the clipboard and like kind of throws it at him and is like fill these out sit over there and like it's so mean yeah it's a little shocking you're in an emergency room like these people need help like you're mean but like just to jump later really quick Chandler says it's kind of an emergency I guess you'd know that or we'd be in the predicament right yeah now. <laughs> and she's just like mm -hmm. Are you kidding? Like, I, I can't yeah. handle it. Yeah. You're the worst. Because we've all dealt with that. That That's like who she's dealing with constantly. But, yeah. but like, she is overly over everything. Yeah. She just wants her candy bar. Um, I have some facts about her. Do you want to know about her? Of course I do. I knew you would have facts about her. <laughs> you want to, do you know what her name is in the show? What they call her in the credits? Is it Suzanne? It's Nurse Sizemore. 
What? Yeah, that's her name. Like literally S-I-Z-E-M-O-R-E. Sizemore. She's played by Mary Pat Gleason. Okay, she was in Full House, Murphy Brown, L.A. Law, Saved by the Bell, and Step by Step. Uh huh. She was in more than 50 films, five zero, including Basic Instinct, Traffic, Bruce Almighty, 13 Going on 30, The Crucible, and The Cinderella Story. She wrote for Guiding Light, the soap opera, and she won a Daytime Emmy in 1986 for her writing on that show. Wow. This is my favorite. I mean, this is like appeals to me as a clinician, but she, in 2006, she's a huge advocate for mental health. Um, in 2006, she wrote a one-woman play about her bipolar disorder that's now used by the Mayo Clinic as a teaching aid for their um, mental health programs. That's incredible. She had bipolar disorder, and she wrote a play about it, started it, and then sadly in um, June of 2020, 2020 she passed away from cancer at seven oh yeah wow but she did a lot in her 70 years just this role she gave Chandler run for his money I feel like she stole all the scenes she was in for sure and Chandler's yeah. like tough to compete with and she she took it from him the way that she throws the clipboard at them and says like fill these out sit over there i mean he says like when he says it's kind of an emergency predicament room blah 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 he has this really stupid laugh but her genuine disgust for him yeah looks at him she's just like i hate you yeah oh and he's just kind of like oh okay okay it's so incredible yeah great job mary pat yeah, so good. So we go back to the girls' apartment at 1342. They are all depressed. And drunk. Rachel is finally in her PJs. Thank God. And Monica's just like, I don't have a plan. <laughs> She's spiraling, like eating cookie dough. She, lo- she looks over at Phoebe, who has her hair in her face with a double straw. And she's like, Phoebe, do you have a plan? I love this line from Phoebe when she's just like, she like flips her hair up with her double straw in her drink. And she's just like, plan, I don't even have a plus. I literally wrote that word for word. I love it so much. I also wrote in all capitals, sad girl nights. I miss those so much. I think that's a part of like finding your identity. It's part of that like bonding with your girls in your 20s away from your parents and away from your family and figuring out like who are we supposed to be? Who do we think we need to be? Like there's so much self-discovery and self-development during that time. And even since then, like maintaining that and still being like, is this what adults do? I don't know. Uh, help me I don't know are we like and just like having that again like we said last episode like building your family in your 20s that you retain when you launch from your family family like you know you're you're my family I I talk to you about this all the time (laughs) is this what it's like I don't know is this what adults do (laughs) 
yeah we don't we, well, i don't know i don't we're know sure. it turns out we're, no one knows what they're doing yeah we're just figuring it out so the pizza kid don whalen i pulled up his whole filmography he's been in everything you could possibly think of he looks like steve buscemi's little brother also <laughs> yeah. he's been in big parts of Never Been Kissed, Men in Black, Sarah, what, what, you know, Will Smith, love you, Scrubs, Days of Our Lives, Bold and the Beautiful, and It's Always Sunny. <gasps> Was he in it? Oh my god, yeah, he's one of the brothers. Yeah, he has been in some, like, and these are just the pieces, the, like, just the roles that I've pulled, pulled for us personally that we would know. He's like one of those guys that you see and you're like, oh, you're in everything. Uh-huh. I'm like so curious to see what he did in Days of Our Lives. That was my soap of choice in high school. I know. That's why I pulled it. I never watched it. But I, I, I remember that like you were like a Days girl. He was in the first Got Milk commercial. He was the Aaron Burr guy. He played a hapless history buff. The commercial was directed by Michael... Friggin Bay. Okay, I did not even connect that those dots until you just said that, and he was the the peanut butter Aaron Burr guy. Yeah, the very first Scott Milk commercial. So if you're born past like I don't know ninety, that's this guy. And wow. Friggin Mr. Transformers himself. That's what Michael Bay does, right? Transformers. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. That's he directed that commercial. Wow. Sarah, good pull because that is the thing that I remind, like that I actually remind, like remembered him from. I don't remember. I don't remember him from all those other things. I remember him from the the Aaron Burr commercials. You know what you might remember him from is um that thing you do as like a fan. Remember that? I remembered that one. Yep. Yep. So when. The pizza guy brings their pizza. Rachel is upset because she ordered a fat-free crust with extra cheese. I have a I have a very serious question. What is fat-free crust? I feel like it should have been gluten-free. But that wasn't a thing. And I think no. jo- the joke was like, fat-free crust with extra cheese. And everyone laughed. And I was like... Because it's like extra fat on the cheese. Right, but like, what is fat-free crust? Is that was that a was that what what is that? I'm sure they made it happen somehow. Gross. What is it that you're taking? I mean, crust is like yeast and flour. (laughs) Take out of it. There's nothing you can take out. There's water. I don't know. There's no fat in it. Well, that's upsetting. I was curious if you knew what that was. No one. I I didn't, and I don't. I'm sorry. So then they find out from the pizza guy that he has the wrong apartment. He's trying to give a pizza to G. Stephanopoulos. And they're like, wait, was this like a Mediterranean, like in a power suit? Like, and, and everybody seems to know what this was. When I first saw this show, I had no idea who that was up until probably like 10 years ago. Still didn't yeah. know who that was. And um, I looked him up. There was a quote I read about George, about this episode, actually, by the AV Club. They were reviewing, they were rewatching old episodes. 
um, by Sonia Soraya. She she wrote, I was genuinely shocked to remember that there was a time when that Stephanopoulos was a sex symbol. What a desperate pre-Clooney times those were. <laughs> I guess he's dreamy. He looks a little Bon Jovi-esque, which like is not dreamy to me. I can see him as a Bon Jovi slash Clooney vibe. Like small. When I watch this back, when Rachel's reference to be like, oh, the little guy, I love him. I realized I always refer to him as like, oh yeah, the little democratic, the little democrat guy. I think that I pulled that from friends. And then I realized he was on like MSNBC and he was, he was like a huge political correspondent after the fact. Um, but he was like the Clinton's communications officer and, and like their political campaign manager. But what I pulled from it was friends being like, oh, the little, the little guy. I don't really remember like shows that were on at the same time, Seinfeld, Mad About You. Uh, I don't remember them like focusing so much on a political figure. No. I feel like that was a big departure for them to be like, oh, we like this guy. It, it's not necessarily supporting a part, one party or the other, but being like, oh, we really think this guy's cute. But it, it seemed like an endorsement in a way of like yeah. a certain party. And also like, I had a little bit of a problem with them. Monica pays $200 a month for her apartment. And this guy who works with the Clinton campaign lives across the street. Seems maybe not. Yeah, correct. yeah. Yeah. When they get the pizza and then Rachel says to, to Phoebe, because Monica clearly knows who this is and what's happening, but Rachel does not. And Phoebe kind of doesn't either. But like Rachel's like, Phoebe, who's George Snuffleupagus? And when, she, when she's just like, uh, it's Big Bird's friend. And then she like laughs out loud. That is so so funny but she's just like you dummy i also really loved when they're looking across the balcony with the binoculars phoebe's holding binoculars and they're trying to see in george stephanopoulos's apartment and they're like oh no there's a woman there Mm -hmm. they're like oh she's eating the pizza and phoebe goes hey that's not for you bitch (laughs) puts down the binoculars and like holds her hands over her mouth and is like oh my god I've become a monster and she's like yeah so funny yeah that's that I feel like that's a little glimpse into street Phoebe Mm -hmm. that I that I love that it's just like yeah that's that's Phoebe's real personality where she just like gets real down and dirty yeah it's her true nature that comes out when she's getting protective and defensive for sure like that girl had to survive and she's like that's not for you and she like sees something she needs or wants and she's yeah. just, like, straight Phoebe comes yeah. out. I, I love when straight Phoebe comes out. Um, Give me your so- money, punk. <laughs> That's not for you, bitch! When they finally move from the shot looking back into the apartment, that's a different perspective than you ever see it. First of all, you see the couch, the door, the weird table and the beam, 
where it usually is the cutoff to the scene, right? So it, when, when they're looking out the, the bay window with their binoculars, you actually see the studio lights in the background for the set. You can see them in the, in the middle distance. But another piece that you see is to the left of the apartment door, you see a bookshelf that has a ton of books in it that we never, ever acknowledge. No, I don't think I've ever seen that. Nope. And there's nothing specific. It's just like, it's just like a piece of the apartment that you never see. So when we go to the ER, <laughs> the only thing I wrote was Joey playing with the puck is really funny. Okay. So I have a funny, a funny piece for this is that Matt LeBlanc stated in an interview that one of his favorite moments playing Joey was was this moment where he, yes where he was taking the puck and pretending he was hitting it in his head and then pretending he was hitting it on Ross's head and it was like the most innocent and playful part of his character where he like he said it was the best Joey moment that he had in the whole series was that part where he goes after Ross? Was that improvised? Was any of that improvised? Yeah, I think so. I think it was just like him playing around with it. The fact that he's sitting in the wheelchair too. Like like <laughs> while Ross is sitting in, in the, the waiting room chair, hurt. And, and Joey is just like taking full advantage of just all the hospital stuff. <laughs> I love Joey so much. <laughs> yep. After this, when Chandler starts talking with the nurse and being like, oh, like, we haven't talked in a while, you know, like, and, and then she shoves the, the screen shut and it like scares him. So this is the first part of an extended scene on the DVD. <gasps> Tell me. After Chandler is startled by the nurse and like kind of spends back. It cuts to Joey bumping into Ross in the wheelchair saying like, push me, push me, push me. And, and Ross being so annoyed. And then Joey being like, don't be a baby. Push me, push me. And, like, <laughs> and Ross just being like, we're going to get in trouble. Stop it. And he's just like, push me, push me. And then he finally pushes Ross to a point where Ross gets up. And he's like, all right, you're gonna be you're gonna be a wheelchair for the rest of your life. And then he like shoves Joey out of frame. And Joey's just like, oh. <laughs> and then as he's doing that, another guy from off camera in, in what seems to be basically a full body cast wheels into the waiting room and then he's just like I don't mean you can I sign you and it's just like this awkward this awkward interaction between Ross and this guy who he, he's clearly insulted and he and Ross being like can I sign you being like your whole body cast another extended version is when we cut to the girls on the balcony first of all what the hell happened to the balcony? It's twice as big as what it normally is. 
there is no way that this is the real balcony. It's huge. It's it's literally twice the size of what it is normally. While they're while they're spying on George Stephanopoulos. That's upsetting. So anyway, they're drinking their tiki death punch, whatever it is. And they're fantasizing about George Stephanopoulos and talking about like, what do you think he's like? And they're like, oh, I think he's shy. You have to draw him out. And then he's an animal. And I'm just like, is George Stephanopoulos really like the sex symbol of the 90s that they have to go to? Isn't there somebody else? I can see how he's like attractive. Yeah. I don't know. Like, is that what Fauci is now? Like, we all love Fauci. Some people think Fauci's a sex symbol. Like, oh God, I hope not. I don't know. Is that like similar? I don't know. I don't know. I want to give it to them because he's not overtly offensive at all. Yeah. I think he's attractive. Yeah. I just don't see the like overt appeal. Right. Of them being like, take off the towel. Yeah. So I want to get into the extended scene on the DVDs. Phoebe saying, well, what do you think the guys are like in bed? Rachel says, well, our guys? Oh, I feel a little weird about that. And then Monica's kind of like, oh, come on. And they're like, oh, he's your brother. And he's, he's just like, oh, you're right. I wish they would have kept this in because it was so good. Rachel is like, you know, Joey, I feel like he's like the little kid ride in the front of the supermarkets. You just put a quarter in and he just goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it cuts to Phoebe and she's like, you know, one time he put on my coat and he was just really tender. So like, I think he's got a little more. And so this is what I love is that like, as after the girls talk about them, it cuts to them in the emergency room doing something. And in this point, it was Joey messing with a vending machine and very sexually pulling, like pushing buttons, being like with his hand up the, you know, and trying to get a candy bar and pushing the buttons in a very accelerated manner. <laughs> Being like boom, 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 and then he pulls it out and he's like, "Yeah." I love that you said pushing the buttons in an accelerated manner. That's so PC. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just telling you how I see it. Got to keep it PG. So then it cuts back to Phoebe saying, "Well, you know, Chandler is hard to react. He's like one of those repressed guys where you, that you have to seduce." <gasps> Which later but here's the thing monica says i think it's all part of the act she's like i have a feeling he's a lot more sophisticated than he seems but then it cuts to him trying to like impress the nurse in the in the er and he has like medical tape iv tubes <laughs> like blown up surgical gloves hanging from his head you like this <laughs> Like, that's like a perfect cut, too. So then it goes to Phoebe saying, you know who I think is sexy? Who do you think she says? Oh, I hope not Ross. 
She does say Ross. Of course she does. And then the, the next thing that I have is Ross being the worst. So what, yeah. is she, what is she like? So she says, like, I think Ross is sexy. And Rachel agrees and says, you know, he'd be really smooth. And then this, this is so great. Ugh. It immediately cuts to Ross in the ER with his, like, hand over his nose <laughs> like like with this giant bandage trying to drink a glass of water like like <laughs> and he can't do it so then he takes the glass of water and puts it down and just splashes it into his face trying to get it in his mouth that's pretty funny and, it, and it's just like the whole scene is so so good because it's not like it doesn't give anything away. It's just yeah. them, it's just them being girls, being like, right. was it, is it is it the guy like the guys aren't our guys? And I feel like we've been there. Oh yeah. But it's like, oh, we're putting them in this category. Okay, we can do that, but it's also really awkward. I don't know. I feel like that would have tracked more than the George Stephanopoulos thing, honestly. Yeah. If they had just gotten drunk and got pizza, mm-hmm. that weird Steve Buscemi guy, and and just talked about their guys, like, that scene would have tracked more than, like, who cares about George? Like, I guess it was a cultural thing at the time, but also, like, we're yeah. building, you're episode four, like, you've got to build this stuff. Like, we don't need George. We don't need him. No. Build this stuff up, like, show us like Rachel agrees about Ross because we have that weird like Oreo thing like what's going on with them let's touch it again and and I guess we don't want Monica talking about her brother but (laughs) in that same scene Rachel says like can't you just picture him in bed and Monica's like I really don't want to (laughs) like she's very aversive to talking about her brother in this way that's amazing i want to watch that scene because that sounds better than a lot of the scenes that they're doing absolutely and also when we cut from that balcony scene to the er i wrote ross is being the worst about his first time with carol (laughs) so that the whole thing is that ross is just equating his first time to the moon the glow of the moon and Chandler immediately is like I need more painkillers to be able to listen to Ross and Joey's like what's the big deal you spent seven years with her like it's it's Carol and then he finds out that she was his first so I have a big problem with this I think in in continuity in that if Chandler and Ross are such good friends Mm-hmm. first of all how does Chandler not know in this episode that Carol was Ross's first Great point. that's one piece but then we find out later that Carol is not Ross's first it's the librarian from high school I thought they just made out though I I want to revisit that because I feel like she he specifically says Anita was a very tender lover. Oh, okay. We do need to revisit because I thought he slept with the cleaning lady at college, but he made out with the librarian. 
Uh, we need to we need to find we need out. to follow up this yeah. is not canon this is upsetting. Yes. so so there is definitely well, well and, and, and regardless chandler should know chandler should know especially because we find out especially in the flashback episode the one that could yep. where chandler's had sex with like two people like ross is yeah. like his coolest friend and they're the only cool people they each other know until they meet Joey. And for that, like you and I, we we know all those things about each other. Like, yeah, I feel like they would have. And, and clearly, Ross tells everyone everything that's annoying. So Chandler would have heard about this every year, I assume. Yes. Why anyone's talking about this with their six friends is upsetting to me. I'm like. I, God, Ross, you are the worst. I yeah. love, like, we've, all Ross has gotten is praise for the last three episodes. Yeah. You are the bottom this time. Can I tell you another reason why he's the worst? <laughs> His face clearly does not seem to be dented in any way. <laughs> he takes the bandage and, like, the thing off. It's and it's like, Bruce. what's wrong with you? Nothing is wrong with you. Just, like, put a band-aid on your face and move on get over it i watched it and there were a couple scenes where they kept cutting back to the er that i was like i'm sorry wait did i miss do i need to go back no. to something no. space out like you don't even have like a black eye under your face like if you had a broken nose you'd have something here yeah that's why that nurse was like you don't need to come in here there's clearly no problem just go home you guys are yeah. so annoying yep <laughs> So when we go back to the apartment, the girls are on the balcony. They are drunk. Oh man, they are drunk and the secrets are starting to fly. Drunk and telling truths. <laughs> this is the one thing I wrote down from that scene. Rachel saying, like he was going to send you one. She was a really big girl. I didn't like Yeah. That. I was like, that is mean. And like, someone should punch you in the face. Then they go to the balcony and they're wanting to see George Stephanopoulos drop his towel. If a public political figure, such as George Stephanopoulos, if he lives so close to another apartment building that you can visibly see, even with or without binoculars, into someone else's apartment, one, would you keep shades open so that your privacy is violated? That's just a liability waiting to happen. Again, I feel like he would not be living across the street, probably. He'd be True. in D.C. Exactly. But, yeah. Well, so that's, that's where my problem is, is that, like, does he not know how to have privacy in New York when you can clearly see into other people's apartments? Maybe what happened is that he has this place in New York people expect him to be in DC and so he doesn't uh, know that anyone's watched like why would anyone think he'd be there like living across from these weirdos like okay that's completely valid maybe this is like his tryst pad until they get the pizza with his name and are like oh that's the guy because yeah if it was widely known they would already not be like oh my god George is over there like they had to find out from the wanky pizza guy who is bad at this job. Yeah, that makes sense then. But I feel like still as a political figure, yeah. you would yeah. at least close the blinds yep. if, you, if you were having sex or walking around naked. The, the whole like, oh, baby, drop the towel, drop the towel, drop the towel, drop the towel. I'm like, 
Is it really a wow factor? He's just a guy. How impressive is a penis in binoculars? <laughs> Touche. Yes. Yes. Any penis in a binocular, like, is that going to be nice? Especially if you're the two people not with the binoculars. Like, is that, do we like that? I, I, I don't yeah. think that that's what I want to watch, but yeah. okay. No, we don't believe it. So whatever. <laughs> Um, so then we go to the emergency room again. Joey is talking about Ross, the way that he's only had sex with one woman and he like twirls his finger around when he says one. It's like, it's like this, like, I don't know, tornado, like one woman. It's so funny. Chandler initially is like, you know, I think it's sweetie. And then he's just like, no, I think it's a freak. <laughs> but then Ross comes back out and he has this like nose brace on. What is that random thing taped to his forehead? If he got hit in the nose, there would be instant black eye happening. Yeah. No apparent injury. There's no cut on his nose. There's no nothing. There's not even like red eye circles. And... <laughs> When he comes out, <laughs> the nurse, she goes, oh, that's attractive. <laughs> She's so good. And then Chandler says, I thought you were great in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It's so good. When Ross comes out and is just like, where's my puck? He goes up to the jerk kid. But this is another reason why I think Ross is the worst in this episode. He's just like such a freaking baby about it. There's another kid in the emergency room for whatever reason. Yeah, why is that kid there? I didn't even think about that. And he's alone. Maybe his dad was the one in the full body cast. <laughs> who, who cares? But like the kid is clearly a jerk and going through something and Ross has to fight that kid to be able to get that puck back and it's just like did you suck oh god that kid as much as that kid sucks ross sucks Sucks. more for (laughs) interacting and like stooping below the kid's level yes so that kid is listed as bratty boy in the credits (laughs) or at least on imdb what i found i just want to read you it's really short This might be my favorite acting bio of all time. This is from IMDb. It says, that guy's name is Benjamin Kaya. I hope I say that right. C-A-Y-A. Kaya. It says, Benjamin Kaya was born in Thousand Oaks, California. He did his first acting job as a model for Broadway and then hit the camera as a young Olympic baby in a McDonald's commercial. He is an athlete and a well-rounded person. (laughs) That's his bio. Yeah. That's fantastic. The only other thing his bio says is nicknames. Benji or the B-Man. Okay. Okay. Even more so, Ross is the worst because he hurt. He like messed with this kid. I wrote a note that said, where is the kid's mom? Like, yes, just alone. Dude. Yeah. What is this kid doing? And why is he here? And where is his parents? And why is he fighting with an adult man? So that was, that was funny. (laughs) That was funny. (laughs) Anyway. And then when, when, of course, when the puck hits the nurse in the face, that's also just so satisfying. Right. Yeah. 
So in the tag at the very end, when the they're all back in their apartment, Ross has his like, you know, Silence of the Lambs match. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're playing Twister. There's a knock at the door, and this might be my favorite part in the entire episode. Where it's just the random dude returning the pillow, and he's looks so bored and is chewing gum. And that like small five second performance is so brilliant. Yeah, I wrote the guy bringing the pillow up without saying anything is gold. <laughs> is so good. The addition of the chewing gum just yes. adds a whole new element to it. Where he's just like, "Here's your stupid pillow. Like, why do I have to bring this to you? Here's your pillow." But yeah. oh, he doesn't say anything, and there's so much that happens there. That point when Rachel leans forward and loses the pillow. That was not meant to happen. I was wondering. So she just rolls with it. They added that extra to bring back the pillow later when they decided to keep that scene in. And I'm so glad they did because that like the 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 dude like we we've all had those neighbors where it's just like that stoner dude. Who just is like, I don't know, like, is this yours? Whatever. I found it, dude. Like, is that, is it whatever? Um, but I also, like, have to give it to Jennifer Aniston in that moment. Like, she played it so good and so fluently where she was just like, whatever. I'm just going to keep going. And she did. And she did such a good job that I, when I watched it, was like, I wonder if that was improvised. Probably not, because she's such a, she's so amazing. But that's so cool to know that that was an, a thing that they just rolled with. Yeah, yeah. So the Very fact, that, so the fact that they added this guy as the guy <laughs> to bring the pillow back, he's completely uncredited in the yeah. in the seat in the episode. Um, and I wish he was because yeah. I like he might be the best part of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I have to give a lot of credit to Chandler because, like, their entire I mean, the scene is like 15 seconds, maybe mm-hmm. 10 seconds, and like neither of them says anything. And he literally just hands the pillow to Chandler, and Chandler just like takes it and shuts the door. Yeah, <laughs> no dialogue, and it's so funny. That guy, like. I, something about the chewing of the gum just makes, like, takes it over the top. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Chandler does a great job of just rolling with it. Yeah. Oh, God. They're playing Twister, and they give Phoebe a direction, and she has to bend down. And Joey's just looking at her ass, being like, oh. And he's looking around, being like, guys, do you see? Like, I'm looking at this. Like, yeah, yeah. And he's just kind of like, yeah, I'm the man. Like, this is in my face. It's so good. <laughs> I just love that, like, I love the Joey Phoebe canon so much that they're just like so into each other, but it's not, they'll never do anything. But if you liked that, check out the little extended scene right there. <gasps> because there's a whole back and forth between Ross and Joey in that moment. But <gasps> I'll just, I'll just leave to you to, okay. to, to look, to check it out. Um, oh, I can't wait. It, it's great. Okay. But, when 
Chandler gets the call from Rachel and is like, oh, it's the credit card people and like they have a whole thing. And she finally picks up the phone and they're again checking on her, which is highly unbelievable. But, you know, it is very sweet because she's been reeling this whole time about like what her plans are. And then she finally sees she's there with her friends who are her family. Yeah. And she's like, I'm, I'm good. I've got, I've got my be my magic, beans. I've got my magic beans. And then she's like, I'm going to be fine. While she's looking at the friends. It's so I sweet. know. And it's just like, you know, you like, you, you feel like you've been there. Yeah. You know, like you've, you've been in that place where you've been spiraling in your twenties and then you're there with your friends and you're like, dude, I've got this. Like my friends are here for me. I'm, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm immersed and I'm okay. And that was such a good moment that like, she doesn't need all the money. She doesn't need the superficial friends. She's got twister and weirdos. (laughs) Chandler's comedy is on point and Phoebe has some really good zingers but I think that Rachel's journey is, I think she's my favorite this week. Yeah. Yeah. Her growth is great. She wins this episode and Ross is the biggest loser because I flippin' hate that guy and his mopiness. Oh my God. Yeah. Ross, you, you're like the Alan of this one. (laughs) Sorry. Hey, I'm glad we're on the same page, though. I just felt like this one in particular was very, it felt very personal, very relatable. I I mean, to one part of it, not the guys, but the the ladies. (laughs) Absolutely. No, (laughs) it did. No, the the girls piece, I was just like, I was in it and I was committed and I was there. So yeah. I miss you, Sarah. I miss you so much. I love you. I love you. You're the best. Better Friends Podcast is created, produced, edited, and all the other things by Ashley Madden and Sarah Reinen. Please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Send us your questions to betterfriendswatchingfriends at gmail.com. To find out more about Better Friends, please check us out on Twitter at betterfriendpod or on Instagram at Better Friends Watching Friends. Thanks for listening.